Hark, not a word we often use nowadays. I think if you used it around the family table, just, just soon the people will look at you strangely. I think the equivalent is when you take your spoon and you tap the glass. You know that moment, tap, tap, tap. Everyone's like, what? You've got an announcement to make, right? That's a moment that I think is similar to the word hark. It's um, getting your attention before a big announcement comes up. But if you're anything like me, you come at big announcements and you're a little bit battle-weary, right? You're a savvy consumer. You know about people trying to trick you. Is VAT excluded? Are batteries included? You have all these questions, right? And so you can harden up at this time of the year because it seems like a lot of people are making extravagant claims trying to get your attention. But my uh, invitation is not to harden up, but to, but to open up. It's a confusing time of the year because... You might not be a Christ follower, but you are kind of brought into a a festival which is really all about Christ, all about Jesus. And that might be quite confusing. Likewise, you might be a Christ follower, and you know the, the, the route is a season where we stop to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, but you've noticed he's often not part of some of the celebrations you see taking place. It's a confusing time whether you're a Christ follower or not a Christ follower. My family and I, I'll share two stories with you. We went to the waterfront, and the waterfront has a play on at the moment. I don't know if you ever had a chance to see it, but I'll show you an image of the play. I really am grateful to the waterfront for having a local flavor to what they did. You'll see there, there's a rhino on the right, there's an elephant on the left, there's joy from Africa to the world. There weren't many sleighs and snow scenes. It wasn't a frozen spectacular. It had an African flavor, and I was really grateful for all of that. But I also then noticed that there was a big emphasis on festivities and not Christmas. There was, a, there was a, a sign in the middle which I've zoomed up, which I want to show you, a joyful celebration. How Cape Tonian is this? Of a locally crafted and sustainable festive season. I mean, that is just quintessentially Cape Tonian. I mean, it's perfect. It's locally crafted, it's sustainable. And of course, this is taking place at a place that is the largest kind of retail space in Africa, pumping loads of plastic into the environment. But I'll, I'll, I'll pause and just say, great And perhaps you look at that and you go, man, there's no mention of Christ, there's no mention even of Christmas, so you could be offended by that. But then likewise, if you're not a Christ follower, there's plenty for you to be potentially offended by. You go to your end of year school play and there's a nativity scene and your kids are asking you, hey, what's this child born to give man second birth? What's that all about? Perhaps you went down Adderley Street, I don't know if you've done it with the lights, and you see the penguin and you see the... Ferris wheel, and then right at the end, this is amazing, there's a nativity scene, there's Mary, there's Joseph, there's a little manger, and you know how the lights work? They've got two sets, you know, so it's flashing, and there's two different images, and what you suddenly see in the manger, it's, a, it's brilliant, little baby Jesus suddenly springs out little hands, like, hello, it's about me, it's about me, it's like right at the end, and so you're going, whoa, and the kid's like, hey, why is it about the baby, right? And you can't avoid him, he sneaks in, you try and, you try and locally craft and sustainable festive season it up, but he's always kind of there with his jazz hands, interrupting things. I personally am just grateful that the whole of Cape Town, the whole of the world really slows down at this time of year. If you're cynical, you understand that Christmas has taken off as a retail phenomenon. It is a massive massive consumer binge. It is so successful in so many ways that it's never going to change. It's just going to get crafted in in ways that try not to emphasize its original uh, uh, meaning. But that doesn't mean that it's a great opportunity for everyone to just stop the madness, and slow down and ask ourselves some questions. And what's quite interesting is Christmas is doing really well, but a lot of the stats are saying that Christianity isn't. It's kind of a bizarre thing that a lot of people are saying, it's not that I don't have 
have a belief in Jesus, it's just that I'm confused. And they, and they self-classifying themselves as nuns, saying, look, it's a confusing space. Maybe I used to be culturally this, but now I probably am, am I, I don't know where I am. Perhaps that describes you today. You can see a, a consumer binge happening, but really the meaning has been washed out and you're not quite sure where you land. And so when people say, what's the reason for the season? Our kids were at the waterfront were asked to, to shout back, it's festive season, it's festive season. They weren't able to explore even deeper than that. Well, what is, what is festive about it? And I wanna spend 15 minutes with you just describing, well, what makes it festive is actually that there's a child born here who is God with us, Jesus Christ. And it wasn't just a birth, it was a coming. It wasn't just a birth, it was a coming of God to earth, which redefines everything, which gives depth to everything. Because not only was it a birth, it was a coming, and why was there a need for coming? Because there needed to be a cross, and there needed to be a death, and there needed to be a re re resurrection. And so what I wanna focus on are these words, born to die. It sounds like a James Bond movie, but it's not. It's the title for this sermon, Born to Die. This event is going somewhere. This birth is going somewhere. It's not isolated. It's key. And I'm going to quickly read from a passage in Philippians, some of the earliest poetry that made sense of the life of Jesus. This is a letter written by Paul in jail to a Greek city. This is the first city in Greece that had a church, and they were trying to make sense of what, what was it about Jesus that that made him the reason for the season. What was it about him? And this was a poem that was written, and you'll see I've laid it out like the poem would have been laid out originally. So let's read together from this letter to a Greek city making sense of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word to us, and what we're gonna do is basically just look at that poem and and find out more about what it meant that he was born to die. And think about it, engage our minds. And you'll see that's the first thing that we look at in verse five. It says there that, that they're to have this mind among yourselves. You'll notice Paul is saying, you need to think this through. Don't let this be a season where you kind of are just confused, not sure. It actually takes some time to, to think it through, engage your mind. Perhaps that hasn't been your experience of Christianity up until now. You've just kind of been told, don't ask questions, sit there, don't do anything. So I was preparing, I was reminded that when things get crazy in the Mourn household, we've got a six, five, and a three-year-old. And when things get crazy, you know what really comes to your aid? And don't judge me for this. Screen time, television, okay? You, it's chaos. Things are about to go volcanic, and you just say, guys, who wants some TV? They're like, ooh, and they rush, and they sit there, and they kind of are just lulled by the screen. And I've got some sincere friends that'll say to me, you know, Paul, you believe in, in Christ and Christianity, and in a way, that's kind of like screen time for adults, you know? It calms you down, gives you some answers, and you can kind of sit there, but it's not for me. They're not saying that in an unkind voice. They're not antagonistic. They kind of have a shrugged soldier saying, hey, that works for you. It doesn't work for me. That's how I land. But then why do we slow down at this time of the year? Is it just because we want to forget that they're, that they're hard things and challenging things in life? I personally think that's a little bit of why Christmas is doing so well, but Christianity maybe isn't in your life, 
is because there's so much division in the world. There's so much hatred. There's so much pain. You can go to any social media platform, any news platform, you're going to see it. Maybe you look in your own family, right? You don't have to go far. You can just, there's just so much brokenness that for once, it feels like there's a time of the year where you can push pause and go, guys, let's just get on. Let's just have a meal. Let's just, let's just get on. Like a little bit of peace on earth. And, and that's enough for us. But what we find in here is that Paul's telling us, no, 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 think more than that. Think about lasting peace. Don't, don't think just about a truce. Think about a lasting peace. How could it be that we could deal with this brokenness, that we could deal with this mess beyond just a truce? Because you know what? January's coming, February's coming, and by March, you're in the thick of it again. And then winter in Cape Town. How can we, how can we just get beyond a truce? How can we get to lasting peace? peace. And Paul's not afraid for us to engage our minds. He's not saying this isn't screen time for adults. This is actually an opportunity to really engage with what this community was all about. And so I also want to ask you to think. I want to tell you a story about my first um, lecture that I attended as a student. It was a finance elective, my final year. And you've plugged your way through undergrad so you can eventually get to this postgrad. And we wandered into a classroom. For those of you that know um, UCT, it's on the far right, the one venue, molecular biology. It takes a while to find it. Next to the um, sweet and sour pork noodle place, which is where most students know. So it's next door. And I remember we sat there and it was a two-hour lecture. It was our first lecture on corporate finance. And the guy sat down and he said, okay, I got some big questions to ask you guys before we get started. I know you're all interested in corporate finance, but I got some big questions for you. He has, uh, he has some big questions, and here they're going to pop up for you as well. Big questions of life. I'll never forget this lecture. He said, okay, first, where did you come from? So all of us are like, uh, Rhonda Bosch, observatory. He says, no, 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 where did you come from? I'm talking like, were you created? Did you just bumble along and, and slowly but surely make your way here? Did everything come out of nothing? Or was there something before? And all of us kind of sat there and went, okay, that's a big question. And then he went to the other side of the drawing board and he said this. He said, what happens when you die? And we're going to do corporate finance, don't worry. But before we do, I just want to lay out the gram. <laughs> he says, what happens when you die? What happens? Do you come back, reincarnation? Do you just become dust? Or is there some kind of judgment? And then, and then he had like a little flow chart, good place, bad place. You know? And we're like, okay, I think that represents all the options. And then he sat in the middle and he said, okay, what's the meaning of life then? While you... While you have locked onto your origin, while you lock on your destiny, why are you here? What's the meaning of life? And he said, I know what you guys think it is, making money. All of us were like, what do you mean? He says, well, you're all here. You're in corporate finance. It must be about making money. And we're like, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, and we're trying to think about all these things. His last question was this. He said, now that you've answered those three, how do you know that you're right? How do you know truth? Those were the four questions at the start of our corporate finance lecture. And I remember a lot of us sitting there going, oh, this guy, man, when's he going to get on to like the corporate finance? And I remember even thinking at that stage, guys, this feels like it's important. I mean, it's not corporate finance, but it feels like these are important questions to frame our lives. And you might have noticed already, there also are questions that give you good names for coffee shops, eh? There's origin, there's truth. <laughs> so we just need destiny and purpose coffee shops. And then we got the full house. But the truth is we, we need to answer these questions. And it's a time in your life where I'm invited to slow down and say, well, if you are an accident and you just are here by random and, and you're gonna be dust when it ends, well, that totally changes the way you live this life. It has to. Purpose and meaning 
can't be found in a bigger story, right? And we all live for stories. Some of you in the advertising industry, and this is a big part of the advertising industry in the public relations industry. They talk about the narrative. How can we control the narrative? How can we shape the narrative? What is a narrative? It's a story. We all live by stories, and we're trying to create stories for ourselves. Let me try out a few. Are you from Josie? Is anyone here from Josie? How did that city get started, right? Gold. It's the Josie hustle. You went for the gold. You were on the frontier. Do you know that Josie is the 49th biggest city in the world? These stats might be a bit dated. 49th biggest city, but it is the biggest city in the world not close to an ocean or a river. Every other group of people are like, it's good to be near water. Joburg, it's like, no, no, it's good to near be gold. Gold, right? And so that city formed with a pace and a freneticness, which is still very much part of its DNA. And the, and the Joburg hustle has got a totally different answer to the meaning of life. Most people go, I don't know what happens on either side, but I'll just try and get purpose. That's the best I can do. And the Joburg hustle is, is often there. Cape Townians, what, well, I mean, the waterfront, they sing about us. They say, Cape Town, where the people are so chilled, it's like another world. We were set up uh, for a group in 1652 as a refreshment station. Just relax, grow some veggies, come back to health. It's about pleasure. It's about nature. It's about being good-looking and expressing that in, in multiple ways of, in, in our sexuality. It's about the vibe. And maybe there's a God, but God, don't come yet. I'm enjoying Cape Town. Just pause. Pause until I've had my chance to enjoy the pleasure. Or perhaps your meaning of life is found in religion. Religion. You believe that you came from a God and that one day He's going to judge and um, you know that like anything in life, there'll be a normal distribution, like a bell curve. And your main mission in life, your main purpose is to make sure you're on the right side of the bell curve, right? You've earned enough brownie points through your moral actions to kind of make sure that you and God are tight. You're not really that interested in God, but you're really interested in spending your life in the good place, right? So that's where you invest your efforts. From the outside, people are very impressed with your moral actions, but actually at the heart, you know it's for completely selfish reasons because you're like, it sucks right now. But one day, I'll be sorted. I'm earning points. I'm, I've almost got divine insurance via my good deeds. I, I, I've got to stop now. There are many stories. But we all kind of focus on that middle one, and we, and we try and get meaning, and we try to live out these stories. And the best picture I've got is almost like you're spinning dials. Picture a safe, and it's got thick walls, and you're trying to get the right combination going. The right holidays, the right job, the right kind of relationships, and you're trying to spin those dials, and you know the good life is on the other side, and you're desperate to get to the good life. You're told Cape Town's supposed to be chilled, but you're not actually chilled, and you're like, I want to be chilled, and you're trying to get all those dials right. I think our biggest enemy, if I reflect on my own life, is just distraction. You're spinning dials, and you lose sight of these four questions, and you kind of are just going for it in your anxiety and in the whirlwind, and, and here comes a time of the year where we can press pause, we can stop spinning the dials, and we can just again examine the life of Jesus Christ and go, what was that all about? What is this good news of great joy for all people? And as the, as the carol we sang earlier, we can, we can prepare him room. We can just open up our lives and go, okay, Jesus, there's a lot of noise, a lot of other stories, but I'm going to prepare room for you, and I'm going to examine this claim that you're God with us, that you actually came to be with us. And I wanna, I wanna ask the simple question, why? Why did you come? Why were you born to die? You almost feel that little glass getting tapped, going, okay, let me still all the other voices. What was it about you that came to this earth in such humility 
and died in such pain so that you could demonstrate such love for those that you made. Let's just go back to our poem that we looked at. You'll see that that there's the word God there. There's a, there's a claim to our origins, saying that every single person here was knitted together in the womb. Everyone's known here by God, an infinite God who created all of us. Out of the overflow of his love, he created all of us. That means everyone here is unique, precious, unrepeatable. There is a God. There is an origin to each of our lives. And it speaks about destiny. If you look over to the next um, slide, speaking about how one day all of us will bow. Everything on heaven and earth and under earth will come to him, and he will be there, not this time as a servant, but this time as a king. That's how history is gonna wrap up. Initially, he came not to be served, but to serve, to lay down his life. But when he comes again, he's coming as a king. And so what gives meaning to our lives in between these two events of, of our being created in his image and, and him coming again? What gives us meaning is this very event, this life, Jesus Christ. He said himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way the truth, and the life. And so we make it about him at this time of the year. And anything like me, you get distracted by that story, and that distraction has devastating consequences because when you're distracted, you don't make it about Jesus, you make it about yourself and how you can get things to work for yourself, whether it's the Joburg hustle or the Cape Town chill or the religious efforts to get brownie points with God. You go hard at trying to figure life out. When he's tapping the glass today, saying, whoa, whoa, I sent my son. Look to him. The son came to rescue you. Maybe, uh, it's hard to describe it, you know, you, you've been looking at the painting the whole time, and he's saying, no, no, don't look at the painting, look at the real scene. I, I've made myself known. You don't have to speculate anymore, you can really look at me. Or maybe you've been looking at the shadow, and you're kind of impressed by the shadow, but he's saying, no, no, no don't look at the shadow, look at the substance. Look at me, look at my life. Isaiah, years in advance, said this about the child that was going to come. He said, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Encouragement here is to think about this, and in particular, that one line, the government shall be upon his shoulder, saying, there's something beyond us taking place here. God is doing something when he sends his son that, that is on his shoulders, not on ours. And so the good news is good news because it's not good advice. It's not do a whole bunch of stuff for God. No, it's good news because it's saying he's doing something. The government is on his shoulders. He's carrying the load and we can, we can come close and we can not just call him a counselor. We can call him a wonderful counselor. Do you need some counsel? Do you need, do you need to make sense of this world? It's not just a God, he's a mighty God, able to do more than we can imagine. No, he's gonna be able to conquer death. He's gonna be able to conquer our rebellion. This isn't a father who might come in and out of your life. No, this is an everlasting father. And this is not a prince who first comes with war in his eyes. No, this is a prince that first comes with peace. And so Paul, writing this letter to this Greek city says, think, 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 and maybe you need to spend some time just thinking about all of these incredible claims and looking at the life of Jesus. But then there's also an opportunity to respond. How will you respond? You know, sometimes you can get gifts that are hard to accept. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever had a gift that's hard to accept? My friend Roger famously read a book. He loves this one author. 
loved this book so much. He wasn't really thinking, and he decided, I'm going to buy this book for my brother-in-law. So there they are sitting around the Christmas thing, something maybe you're about to enjoy. And everyone's looking at everyone's gifts, right? And he opens up this book. You know what the title of the book was? Don't Waste Your Life. <clears throat> now, picture the scene, right? You're like, what, what are you saying to me, Raj? <laughs> you know? And then he suddenly realized that moment. Oh, my goodness, I just like the book. I didn't realize how awkward this moment was going to be. And, and, and that's a hard gift to accept because if you go, thanks, Raj, what are you saying? I'm busy wasting my life, right? Or maybe someone wants to give you a, a book like um, How to Stop Making Life All About You, you know? Thanks for identifying my narcissistic tendencies. Or maybe a book called How to Really Put Makeup On, you know? I mean, accepting books like that makes you have to admit something about yourself. Jesus Christ has come, but he's an incredibly hard gift to receive because here's the deal. Your brownie points are not going to cut it. You need to receive him. The story of, of getting on the right side of the bell curve is, is under threat when Jesus comes and says, it's about me, not about you. Unto you, a son has been born. He is the gift, and we need to slow down, stop trying to spin all the dials and all the coping mechanisms that we've developed, and we need to look at his life in light of those big questions of origin, destiny, purpose, and meaning. How will you respond? There are two invitations I love to extend to everyone here. We've got to be looking at Alpha, which is an amazing course. We have meals. We look at the life of Jesus. We've got Cornet Kricher, um, who's going to be spending time with us, telling a little bit about his story. He took his son and five of their friends to go visit Peter Steftatoy on the farm yesterday. Peter Steftatoy, the best rugby player in the world. And his son and his five friends were all there. I saw on Twitter one of, someone answered and said, geez, Cornel, are all of those your kids? And he replied, he said, no, 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 man, I've got TV. I've got TV. It's <laughs> quite a classic response. But he's a man who's had his life changed by Christ. And he's wanting to invite us into that space and say, come on a journey, have meals and talk about it because we don't talk about these deep questions enough. And perhaps you wanna join us in January, we're gonna be doing a series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, because we can often be good at talking about Jesus, but do we actually follow in his footsteps? Do we actually, as a community, get around and say, let's make it about him and his ways, his ways of rest and renewal, his ways of loving others? Jesus Christ is, is perhaps the hardest gift of all to receive, because we need to swallow our pride. Christmas means that we're all lost, each and every one of us. No matter what story we're living into, we're all lost and we're all unable to save ourselves. But nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. That means that you and I, we're not a somebody who can pull himself or herself up by their, by their, by their laces. They pull yourself together and live a normal and good life. That's incredibly humbling. But it's also an amazing time of the year to imbue us with confidence because knowing all of that about us, he still chose to come. And Easter shows that he came to die, to lay down his life. He went to the cross because of his great love for us. And this can never be taken away. Death, pain, our selfishness is all on borrowed time because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one who was born to die. And so piercing through, all the commercial confusion that is on the go right now, there are nitty-gritty realities that last way beyond the December madness. Deep into March and the winter months of Cape Town that follow, there is a God with us. There is a God who, 
who's ruling and reigning and who makes himself available to each and every one. This is where our true living hope is found. I wanna end with this quote from Dorothy Sayers, an essayist, uh, essayist from the UK. Went through war, went through all kinds of things and she, reflecting on Christmas, reflecting on God with us, reflecting on the incarnation, which is essentially Jesus Christ's birth and life and death and resurrection. She says this, the incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fail, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain, all for us, and thought it well worth his while. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray and respond, and the band is then going to play Hark the Herald Angel Sing. This hymn uh, was written by Isaac Watts. His father and him were having a conversation one day, and Isaac Watts said to his dad, Dad, there's not enough joy in all these hymns we're singing. And his dad, being a good father, said, Fine, write a hymn full of joy. And he said, Fine, I will write a hymn full of joy. And his reflection was that the joy isn't actually found right here in its fullness. Oh, one day it'll be when the angels sing at the second coming of Jesus Christ. When God and sinners are reconciled, when destiny is reached and the king of the kingdom is embraced. And so we right now might be going through pain and what Dorothy says described, but we have a God who went through that pain himself on the cross and who knows the future that he's going to usher in. So we're going to respond singing that song. And before we do so, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. So let's pray together. Right now, God, we choose to stop spinning the dials and to prepare room in our hearts for you. I pray for some who've never understood the good news of great joy for all people, that have seen Christianity as just another religion where it's about moral deeds outweighing any bad deeds. God, I pray right now that by your spirit you will call them home. You will call them to yourself and you will show your deep love for them that no one is excluded from the invitation to homecoming. Father, I pray for everyone who claims to follow Jesus Christ, that this would be a special season where we look to you in fresh ways and respond to your invitation to follow. We'd follow you into those tricky relationships we have. We'd follow you into our workplaces. We'd follow you into our hopes and dreams that as we follow you, we will have a vision of what we're about to sing now, the returning king who angels sing about. God with us, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. We sing to you now.